We are just winging it. I'm reporting live from February vacation in the Abdullah household, which I did not realize is only a thing in the Northeast. And I, can I even say that? It's not a thing where you are. I think I'm still the Northeast, John. I, I think this still but, qualifies. But, but is in, in Connecticut, is school vacation, uh, February vacation a thing? Uh, it was when I was growing up. I don't know what the fuck happened to it, but uh, it, as I was telling you right before we recorded, it's become a day. Like, our kids' school vacation week is just President's Day, and then one day off, and then the rest of the time they're in school. Other than today, where we have a snow day, so they're kind is of, that, you know... Oh, yeah, that's true, so they got an extra day. Yeah. So, is that just like a COVID times thing? Were they catching up on days off or something? Like what? I have no, I have no clue what's up huh. with it. But I do have to say, speaking of COVID times, I don't know what's going on with you in your district, I, we don't have COVID, so that's what's going on with me. Congratulations! <laughs> we are the ma- you know the mask mandate stopped, right? And of course. we got messaging this week that the the as of next Monday when they go back to school, uh, masks will be optional for kids to wear. How and both of them came wild. home. Both of them came home with COVID tests, and they're like, "If the test is negative, we don't have to wear masks on Monday." And I'm like, "What?" I was not ready for that to happen, but well, yeah, it's happening. it's a big thing. Yeah, school districts all over the country. So the way ours, you know, of course, there was like a heated school committee meeting on this uh, subject. And ultimately, they decided they're going to postpone the decision. They're going to leave masks in place until two weeks after kids get back from vacation. The thinking being mm. that, you know, after vacations, there's usually a bit of a spike. And then they're going to sort of assess the situation and then decide beginning of March. But even that wow. was extremely heated, right? Because, I mean... People are, are, you know, very vocal and, and, you know, want an end to masks. And this isn't just like people as in those who don't believe COVID is a thing or in vaccines and all that. It's actually, you know, there's a legitimate concern about the impact that masks are having on learning and all that. So, I mean, I respect it. You know, I, I feel like uh, the school is playing it safe and I think that's fine, too. And we'll see how things unfold. But it is quite a moment we're in now, right? I mean, this is like yet again another... Um, I don't know what to call it. Like, there's no more return to normal. That idea is gone. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's, it's, uh, I mean, a return to safer times, I guess. I don't know. It's a something. It's a uh, something. I have to say, school committee meetings are things that until the last, like, two years, I never even thought twice about. Right. But they have become, like, the fucking WWE squared circle, <laughs> like, you know, raw, Monday night raw takedown match of, like, local government and municipalities. I, Ours, I feel yeah. like they have it's an gotten so out of hand. The, the mic. There was actually <laughs> one incredible moment that happened early on in the pandemic. It was, like, the first one I had ever tuned into, school committee meeting. And, you know, you're all on it and it's they're new to like using Zoom, right, to having the remote thing and Mm -hmm. allowing it to happen in that way and and parents to ask questions and everything. And so naturally, you know, we're muted and Bethany and I are like commenting on things back and forth throughout. And then all of a sudden there's this moment where um, the person, the like head of the school committee, he he's like, whoever is speaking right now and commenting on everything that we're saying needs to stop. Like and he's like, and then and then he literally he ripped a page straight from um, Taken and turned into Liam Neeson. He's like, 
whoever you are, I will find you and I will mute you. Like he used those exact words. Oh my God. And there have since been like shirts made or so like it became a whole thing. Like a I big will joke. find you and I will mute yeah, you. Cause I mean, it was hilarious. And and we were shitting ourselves cause we thought it was us. Like we, cause obviously yeah. every parent listening, right. You're commenting back, you know, talking about how ridiculous the other parents questions are, et cetera. Right. Well, and p- so, plus everybody's been isolated. So people are right. talking to themselves anyway. So, you and know. so I'll, yeah, that's, that's another point. So I was like, are we fucking muted? Cause if that was us, like that might be the end of us. This guy's gonna take us down, you know. Be literally killed. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't us. I don't think. I don't know. I I don't know if he ever found the person, but it was amazing. So anyway, school committee meetings are quite a thing now. We're in a new stage. Uh, another yet another new stage. Um, we just came back from a couple days um, at a hotel nearby. It was like a half hour away. We just stayed at a hotel with a pool. Uh, Ooh, you know, nice. you know all about our pool criteria. You guys love, um, yeah. You're very specific about having pools. I where mean, you the stay. kids just love. It's just a good, you know, it's a nice way to be able to go somewhere fairly close and still just like take full advantage of change of scenery and oh yeah, being able to do things indoors, which we also were able to get outside and bike because it was you know beautiful out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a summer day because of climate change. So you know, <laughs> thanks to that. So I, I've been like, this is obviously catastrophic, but it's also sixty degrees out. And like, I mean, what the fuck are you gonna nice do? Yeah, Tuesday. you gotta. I mean, enjoy the day. You might as well. Yeah. Um, it sucks that you know the planet's burning, and we're also about. I mean, to I, I say that from through. I'm looking at an ice storm happening outside my window right yeah, now. So same. like you know, but two days ago it was uh, it was yeah. fifty eight degrees. I mean, I I'm feeling grateful for life on this day. You know, we we should note that it's uh, the day after Russia invaded Ukraine, so you know, potential World War Three coming. Yeah. But uh, you know, what can we do? It's snowing outside. Um, we have uh, some time off with the kids, and here we are. <laughs> yeah. Once again, in a place where, where it, you know, it's like there's so much happening right now, so fast, and it's so scary. But it's also like. How do we even fucking deal with this? Like how, how you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I have friends who are, I have a couple of friends who are in Ukraine. I have some oh, Ukrainian wow. friends here. Yeah. And they're like so incredibly distraught right now, you know, for obviously valid for, reasons. And right. it's like a, you know, I, I feel, I just feel for them. But I also have this sense of like, if, if this had happened a couple of, I mean, we had, you know, obviously intimations of this when, you know, Crimea was annexed back in 2010 or whatever that right, was. Right, right. But if this had been happening two years ago, I think I, this would have been the only thing that I'm thinking about. Like, I would have been so panicked about the sociopolitical implications and what's going to happen geopolitically and, like, what, you know. And now I'm just sort of like, man, I don't even fucking know what's going what's to happen. Mean, you know? I mean, yeah, I, part of it is that, like, you know, general, we've talked about this more insulation. Uh, I just, all I think of is, like, literal insulation around us. Um, but, you know, we're all more insulated in our lives in ways that, like, I don't, we just don't have as much bandwidth to even take it all right. in, right? So... Um, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. I mean, it, it's awful and I am feeling anxious about, you know, how this is going to unfold. But yeah, I'm with you in terms of like, how much can I let into my life or, or let impact me emotionally right now? I don't know that I have anything much left to give there. Yeah. Um, it's a weird so, place to be in for people like us who tend to care a lot, you know? Of course. Yeah. Um, it's a weird place to be like, well, I, I, I'm, I'm recognizing my powerlessness and I'm just sad about it, you know? Yeah, it's so. uh, speaking of recognizing powerlessness, Luke is is uh, how do you like this for a segue? Luke is like at the prime stage now where his reaction to um not having control over something, right? Not getting his way is to turn into Citizen Kane, you know, rip the toilet out of the wall 
um, just like cause complete devastation. Like whatever he's near, he'll just destroy. That's his reaction. Especially if it's that he did something wrong. He gets so like, I I have to really, I'm working on, you know, how I approach it because he'll do something that's so blatantly like he'll just start, you know, cutting at like the couch or something with scissors. And of course, my immediate reaction is to get upset, right? Like you see your child doing something so obviously stupid and destructive. Um, and in his mind, he's like probably exploring or like, you know, what will happen if I do this? Right. Um, and, and so I respond the way I do and he just, he just loses it and gets really destructive. Right. He, you know, sc- and he screams like a banshee. Um, and so Is he still wielding scissors at this point. <laughs> yes. Cause so that, that adds, that adds, that a, layer adds a whole of, you know, layer. That's yeah, true. Chucky, the, yeah, and the and, doll. I'm, and I'm we picturing just, that. Yeah, we just skip over the kid scissors stage, right? Like, we just let them yeah. use. Like, you go straight you know. to industrial. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he's he's capable of doing some real damage there. So that's always, you know, a situation. <laughs> but anyway, I don't even know. That that was a segue to how my kids are doing and, and what stage yeah. they're at in life now. You shoehorned that in, but it was okay. It, you know, it, it there, was, there was a powerlessness metaphor. Um, I, I had to get in there somehow. You did. Uh, I'm excited to, about today's topic and the and the book that you're reading, which we're dedicating, uh, ladies and gentlemen, two episodes to, uh, which is very exciting. But before we do, though, I have I have an update. Um, I want to hear it. So yeah. So thanks. Always, to the, I always want to hear it. Th- I appreciate that because I also because <laughs> nobody else cares, and you know this is one of the few forms I, I have to I be care, able Patrick. to say thank you. Um, so, you know, thank, thanks to the wonders of psychotherapy and, uh, and, you know, functional serotonin levels again for the first time in a long time, I've, uh, I've remembered that like I once had hobbies that I was into that weren't just like sitting in a fucking dark room crying about everything. So, uh, so I've been, you know, taking advantage of climate change and, you know, warm weather to get outside and to like, you know, remember that like there's, you know, you can get into new things again. Like you're supposed to do that as a human, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and one of the things that I've gotten super serious about just in the last month is mountain biking. That's something that like, you know, ah. I kind of played around with when I was a kid. Uh, and Jude got like a mountain bike, uh, you know, about a month and a half ago that we, you know, we bought him and he's been riding in like in our yard with it, which as you know, has a lot of hills and stuff. Right. And my bike, which is a road bike from the actual 1970s, like does not do very well in that environment. So I got like a beefy mountain bike so that we could do it together. Yeah. And with then of course I was truck like- tires. Yeah, it actually, it's a fat bike, so it kind of does have monster truck tires. Yeah. Like, when I'm riding, kids kids literally go like, whoa, that's cool. I'm like, yeah, you're fucking right, it's cool. You're elevated like 10 feet off the ground. <laughs> yeah, if I fall, I'm essentially get killed by it, <laughs> <laughs> which actually has happened a couple of times. Well, I expect but, um, that's where this is going, you going full ass into this. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna get there, it's gonna get there. But, but before it gets there, though, there was some considerations, you know, my therapist's I'm saying therapist. It's actually I have literally two therapists. A team the of therapists. Yeah. Oh fuck you! Require team, a right. cadre <laughs> of team of psychotherapists. Uh, you know they're like you need to make more room for yourself again. You need like it's important for you to to not feel guilty about taking space for yourself, mm. right? And uh, and I really haven't been like I, I've I've just at some point in the last couple of years kind of stopped even noticing that I was like my own person who like deserved. To like to do stuff, right? Yeah. So, uh, so part of that was not feeling bad about spending money on myself, which is part of you know why I got the bike. But then I was like, I really should invest in a helmet that's not the helmet that I got like thirty five years ago <laughs> that I've still been somehow wearing. So I was like, okay, you know, I got a day off this week. I'm gonna go to like the actual bike store, like not the real Amazon. Deal. Because not we know what happens. Gonna, yeah, yeah, it could be anything in Amazon. You it'll know, be ten it, times too large, like the pants, and it'll just yeah, that's not going to the do parachute. Anything. Yeah, 
this this was uh i was like you know, i'm gonna go to the actual like full price bike store i'm gonna go i'm gonna get like fitted i'm gonna make sure i get like because you know when you're mountain biking you're pretty far out in the wilderness and uh, i've been known to go full ass and to have I'm just you know, laughing accidents. About the fit, getting fitted part you know like it's like when you go to a shoe store and they have that you know device to measure your feet <laughs> like they just put something on your head and it just fucking i don't know why it just sounded funny but anyway yeah, you got fitted. you sit down and they yeah they, they put or the a tailor device comes on out, you. right and he does all these measurements on your head like as <laughs> if it's all this complicated tape. math right <laughs> right i mean there's like three fucking sizes yeah, well, there's, there's, it turns out there's more than three sizes, John, and that's actually part of where this is going. So, you know, so I go there and I'm like, hey, I, you know, I've been, I've been wearing this road bike helmet that I got like sometime during the fucking Reagan administration, and I feel like I should probably, you know, get, get a mountain bike helmet. And they're like, yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. So they take me to like the mountain bike helmet wall, which is literally a wall. I don't even know what, that, what a mountain options. bike helmet is. They have like coverage for the back of your head for, okay. you know, cause, cause when you're mountain biking, it's easy to have like pretty bad accidents. Oh, I can, because, I'm sure. You know, there's a lot going on, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so I'm like, oh, this is so cool. There's like so many options to choose from. And I see one. I'm like, okay, I'm probably going to be a large. Like I know that I have kind of a big head. So I'm like, I'm going to take a look at like, like let's take a look brain. at the larges. Yeah. I'm going to like, I want to, you know, get something that kind of matches the bike. So I find one that looks really good. And he's like, all right, so the first step when we're fitting a new helmet is we're going to turn the crank in the back all the way out. <laughs> so it's as loose as it can possibly be. And then we'll put it on and then we'll conform it to your head. So I'm like, okay, cool, cool. And I take it out and I go to put it on and it doesn't even like fit like uh, over the top of my hair. I'm like, oh, <laughs> fuck. I'm like, what size is this? He's like, that's so large. It's, it's okay. Push it down. I'm like pushing it down and it's not going anywhere. And he's like, okay, maybe we need some extra larges. And so he's, he's like, well, come with me. And he takes me to this fucking janky, crappy area where there's like two options that are extra large sized yeah <laughs> and they're both like ridiculous and i'm like okay uh you know I'll, I'll i'll try it are these still good and he's like i mean they're not they're not as good but they'll fit you he you literally know? had to like he, he put it up on your head and then he had to actually sit on your head to get <laughs> he it to did. go all the way down it's very romantic Stomp on it a couple times so he's like, okay, so we'll do the same thing. We'll take the thing all the way out, uh, you know, and we'll make sure the padding's like all the way, and then we're going to get it on tight. And he, I go to put the fucking extra large on, and it doesn't go on my head. <laughs> he's like, what? This is crazy. I mean, I you don't know. Have, like, you don't, I've seen people with bigger heads than you. Sorry to I say. I apparently have a very large head. But anyway, so it, it does go on. And he's okay. like, okay, now crank it to make it tighter. And I'm like, cranking it once. <laughs> like and a that's fucking like, torture it. device. <laughs> you could tell he's like, what the hell is wrong with this person's head? Uh, it was very embarrassing, but it was, uh, you know, it, it ended up fitting and uh, and it has, you know, worked because I've had a couple of And I can of see based on the survived. fact that you're still wearing it now that they actually weren't able to remove it after that. <laughs> it's it's permanently embedded in my skull. Hey, Liz, no, go get cool. the olive oil. I got to get this helmet off of him. <laughs> they call it a doctor to fucking saw it off me. Um <laughs> No, but it was a wake-up call that reminded me of when I got, you know, fitted for glasses and I had to go to, like, the special section at the back of the Warby Parker website, you know, for the ones <laughs> that That's right. We me. talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, have strange listen, body measurements, you know? I mean, at least now we understand why that brain power, I mean, it can only be that's contained in from. a skull that's that large, right? That can only fit two Patrick, bike we're helmets. basically all trying to evolve into what you already are, Same. right? Like, you Same. will be the, the new breed of Homo sapien. I am. And and the helmets will fit everybody and it will be an equal playing field. Yeah. And uh that will there there will there will come a time. 
I mean, I we all are getting larger, aren't we? Like our brains and our general size. As is that not true? I, I think over millions of years, yeah. And we're also getting fatter, so I think well, those two course, things, yeah. you know, go hand in hand. Eventually, yeah, 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 we're yeah. just going to be a bunch of giant heads rolling around pine, you know. <laughs> well, uh, with maybe that, we by the time uh, this segue. episode is done, yeah, let's yeah, go. yeah. <laughs> so tell, tell me about the book you've been reading. This will be a good segue. Yeah. So okay. The name of the book, I should start there. You know what? I'm not going to start with the name of the book. I'm going to start with why we're talking about a book. Because here's Let's something I, yeah. I, uh, I guess I, what's the word? Wow, I don't even, I already lost my word. So this is going to be interesting. Off to a great start. Um, a sort of revelation I had. It, that's too strong of a word, really. But, you know, each, each year, there's, there's sort of, I don't know, for whatever reason, I don't think I do this intentionally, but there's kind of a book that like grounds my year, right? And, and comes up in this show. So yeah. in the past, certainly we've talked about some parenting books. We've talked about um, the Book of Joy, where Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu um, spoke together about joy. And so it, it was Kama interesting. Sutra. This one just came up. A friend had mentioned it early in the year. Kama Sutra was a good year, yeah. Um, yeah and and this book came up for this year, and I'm realizing that I, I kind of love this. You know, each year starting with, um, you know, it is a, a nonfiction that kind of grounds me in my thinking and has me maybe shift my perspective in a way that is challenging right and so for this one um this came up from a friend who had recommended it and of course the the title alone piqued my interest it's called four thousand weeks time management for mortals um the reason it's called four thousand weeks if you didn't figure it out already is uh that's about how many weeks we have each individually on on earth a lot you know alive i don't know uh, that that phrasing sounded really strange i, I um, mean i guess if you look at us as our constituent particles we've got a lot more <laughs> than four thousand weeks but four thousand weeks of like typical lifespan for somebody to be alert and awake yeah yes I got you. exactly so it's about four thousand weeks um and you know right off the bat right the framing there is that obviously if you think of it in terms of weeks it's not a whole lot of time, right? I mean, that's like, y'all know how fast a week goes, right? Or even think about the last couple of years and the pandemic that we faced mm -hmm. and how fast that time frame is gone. And so, um, you know, it piqued my interest. Um, and, you know, part of it is that it's not a traditional kind of time management um, book. I should also give a credit to the author. Uh, Oliver Berkman is the name of the author. William um, Shakespeare. Because I'm about to, you know, just recite everything that he said and, and uh, make it ours. So that's, I can at least say his name. Um, <laughs> so, so what I appreciate is that, you know, there obviously are a bazillion um, self-help kind of time management or productivity books out there, right? Who have their own kind of spin and it's become especially within, you know, sort of our culture today with Silicon Valley and, uh, you know, the, the, the pace of change and the pace of work and everything, there's a lot written on this topic. The, the point of this is actually uh, a bit, I would say, sort of counter um, productivity in that the, the main, I guess, thrust of this is that our perspective on time is the issue, right? We, in our culture in particular, have the notion of time that must be controlled, that we, we, you know, it's on us to sort of figure out the best way to manage time. Um, and what happens, and I think many of us can relate to this, as I certainly did, is that we fall into what is an efficiency trap. Um, the idea that by optimizing how we manage our time, we can get more in and do more and then live more meaningful lives. And that, I think is you know one of maybe a few uh human sort of commentaries or human conditions that have led to so much pain 
and you know depression and so much uh, maybe less meaningful lives than we otherwise could have led, uh, to put it softly, um, because the more productive we come, often the more we can do and therefore want to do and have to do, right? I mean, this is nothing I'm saying I don't think is is sort of revelatory, but it's sort of setting the stage here. Um, email is a great, simple, simple example of this, right? Um, you could follow something like the zero inbox approach and get really good at answering emails and like just time boxing things and um, not allowing it to control your life. But the better you get at it, the more it generally creates, right? Because you're responding to more emails, you're more efficient about it. And then you're you're actually you're contributing to that whole condition of everyone having too much email and you're getting more email yourself. And there's just really no way to ever actually catch up. That's just email. <laughs> this plays out in so many facets of our life. Um, and, you know, I consider myself overall like to be pretty uh, optimized <laughs> in terms of how I manage my time. Like, I, you know, I'm pretty productive in work and at home. And I feel like as a parent, you kind of have to be disciplined in that way. But there's something interesting to sort of take a step back and, and start with the premise that time is not something to be managed. And that the more, the harder we try, um, the less we'll ever be able to actually catch up. <laughs> so let me just read a quick quote and let's get this started, you know, because I want to walk through a few items here. And certainly this is going to be a multi-part um, series because there's just so much packed into this book that I think is worth just digging into, right? And exploring. Um, I like how you're disclaiming this with a time management that you're like, well, <laughs> we're not going to make it all the way through. So we're going to separate this into multiple installments. Well, I mean, because like I want to take our time through this. I mean, there's just so much there that I think each of these could probably be its own episode, honestly. Wow. Um, but but so here's just a quick quote to s sort of summarize what I just said. Um, Soon your sense of self-worth gets completely bound up with how you're using time. It stops merely... It stops being merely the water in which you swim and turns into something you feel you need to dominate or control. If you're to avoid feeling guilty, panicked, and or overwhelmed. Right? So again, this idea that we have to manage our time. Um, and so I'll just go on and, and sort of read. Um, yeah, this, this, I think, passage in particular kind of conveys the alternative here. The universal truth behind my specific issues is that most of us invest a lot of energy one way or another in trying to avoid fully experiencing the reality in which we find ourselves. We don't want to feel the anxiety that might arise if we were to ask ourselves whether we're on the right path or what ideas about ourselves it could be time to give up. We don't want to risk getting hurt in relationships or failing professionally. We don't want to accept that we might never succeed in pleasing our parents or in changing certain certain things we don't like about ourselves. And we certainly don't want to get sick and die. The details differ from person to person, but the kernel is the same. We recoil from the notion that this is it, that this life with all its flaws and inescapable vulnerabilities, its extreme brevity and our limited influence over how it unfolds is the only way, is the only one we'll get a shot at. So <laughs> that that sort of speaks to this idea that um, confronting this idea that time is not to be managed means, in a sense, we're confronting our our finitude. Finitude? Finitude? Finitude or I, I always feel like I'm saying that word incorrectly, um, which I thought was interesting, right? Because the reason that we get so consumed by this idea of managing our time is because, in a sense, like, 
you know, that is, we're all aware of the fact that that is, is ticking away, right? Our time. And so our, our, you could call it obsession with managing it is really, um, it's us not able to necessarily cope with the fact that this is it, you know, these moments, every moment that we have is life. And the idea of like, if I get all these things done and I do all these certain things in the right way, I will then have time for what I enjoy, right? Or, or for the family that I love or for whatever it is. We often look at time in this way that by managing it, we will lead more full lives when the reality is like it's, we all know that that time unfolds in a ways that we can't ever truly manage. And so you're kind of missing the boat if you ma- if you have that approach of trying to manage it. And let me just stop there because I've said a lot and I want to <laughs> get your initial reaction. Cause as always, you know, I'm, I present these things after having read a whole book and uh, I know this is fresh for you and for anyone who's listening. It is. I, uh, I'm not sure I completely buy into the, the premise of this, but I also am saying this that's having read thing. zero of it and no, only that's, that's what makes to these what conversations saying. worth having, I think. Yeah. But I, I do know that the first time I ever was struck by the brevity of life, you know, and, and of course this is, you know, we've, we've all lost people who were like ex- way younger than they should have been. And that's something that you also have to reconcile in life is the reality of our own, you know, mortality and maybe not even getting those 4,000 weeks. But the first time I was really struck by how short life actually is was just that somebody made an infographic with a bunch of boxes that represented the, that probably that exact same time span. Like each box was one week. Mm. Um, and I was like, there's there's not that many boxes on this page. And I was looking at it and realizing like, holy shit, I'm already like way farther down the column than I thought I was. And uh, and that was like a huge – I mean, honestly, it was terrifying. It was like an existential moment. And this is when I was in grad school. I remember it very specifically. So since then, whenever like that that comes up, you know, like how – just how finite life really is, you know, I, I – depending on my stress level at any given time, I either take that as being liberating or being terrifying. Absolutely. And I think that's something that um, – so I'm just saying that because like in terms of the 4,000 weeks idea at a high level, that's like, that's definitely something that I've kind of grappled with from time to time. Yes. But going into what you're saying, as far as time management goes, you know, time management has been something that I've always honestly struggled with. It's not, you know, something that I've been particularly good at. It's something that I've had to work at a lot in my life. And as somebody who has had experience, like not managing time very well, I can tell you that it leads into a lot of, you know, issues, right? Like mm. you end up screwing things up for other people for for one thing. You know, if you don't make deadlines on time, it leads to issues. If you're late to things, it leads to issues. You know, you become untrustworthy. So like the idea of being trustworthy in that you respond to emails to me feels like a really good, like that's something that I really aspire to do because it makes me feel like I'm not letting other people down. And yeah. to not let other people down for me is a really liberating and good feeling because I feel like I'm part of a, you know, collective. The idea of like not, and I know that he's obviously not advocating for getting rid of that. It's just that this this thing of like you don't want to get trapped in the Ouroboros of you know always being so productive that you're not noticing that you know time is kind of wheeling by underneath that. That's something that uh, I, I don't, I don't know how it makes me feel, but it makes me feel like I am not productive enough where that has been a problem for me, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, that makes total I, I sense. De- I definitely live with this awareness that I could be a shitload more ambitious 
than I am, especially at work. Like I, I know that I know that if I were to like really apply myself to, you know, trying bigger and better things, I could probably be a lot further in my career at this point. But I also know that it's usually a, a co- pretty conscious decision to not take too much on so that I have time in my life for like the kids and for Micah and for my, you know, mountain biking and things. So I, I, I feel like I'm in an okay place with that personally, but I, I mm-hmm. want to hear more about, you know, why I'm not like, I want to hear more about what he's, <laughs> what he's kind of getting at. Well, I mean, yeah, it's interesting what you said there, right? Because I think however good anyone who's listening, you included, think you are at managing time or not. I think it's fair to say we all experience the anxiety associated with the idea that we have to manage it and that we may not be doing the right things or or staying up, you know, keeping up with things, right? So here's another quote on that. I mean, yeah, convenience culture seduces us into imagining that we might find room for everything important by eliminating only life's tedious tasks. But it's a lie. You have to choose a few things, sacrifice everything else, and deal with the inevitable sense of loss that results. And we'll get a lot more into this, whether today or in the next one, because, you know, he gets into some specific strategies here. But, you know, there's something there that I worry about in myself, too. And I, you know, I think I I do have I've committed a lot of energy to managing time. And I think I've gotten a lot better at it at work to, like, focus on the right things at the right time. But I think that by becoming so fixated on that, of that optimization of things, right, the point that I've been missing, I feel, is that it's still not possible. It's never been possible to get everything done on our to-do list, right? There are just too many things. We've created this condition where technology, of course, has accelerated it, and this has been true throughout history. It's not It's not new. It's just that the, you could say the pace of it has accelerated drastically um, with modern technology, but there's just too much. We, we, we have tricked ourselves into thinking that we can do so much more. Um, you know, I mean, you think about even just technology that's not super recent um, around the house, like a dishwasher or, or things that help us, a laundry machine, all of this, you know, technically it should give us more free time, right? Because we're able to get that stuff done and not have to spend, you know, however long it would have taken to hand wash our clothes or dishes or whatever, but it's never been the case because we we immediately fill that with more stuff that we have to do to be productive. And I think that part of the trap of, you know, being more efficient and therefore that giving us more time, it feels like we're always in pursuit of the time that we'll have to enjoy life when in reality it's it's it goes back to, you know, a theme we've talked about on this episode all the time, which is about being present with the time that you have, right? Um, And here's another quote on that front. Uh, What I can confirm, though, is that if you can adopt the outlook we're exploring here, even just a little, if you can hold your attention, however briefly or occasionally, on the sheer astonishingness of being and on what a small amount of that being you get, you may experience a palpable shift in how it feels to be here right now alive in the flow of time. And, you know, that idea of being in the moment not in this way that's like, okay, I'm going to focus on what's happening, what's unfolding right now. It's really just, I think it's a gentler kind of approach where we have to acknowledge that like, this is it. You know, that idea of of doing all the things so I can then relax or get the time that I need, I think is a setup. <laughs> and I get into a few strategies now. I, you know, you, you need to help me um, decide how deep we go on this now versus 
kicking it to the next episode, but there's just so much packed well, in here. I, I, I do want to, I do want to hear more, but I also, I'm, so is, is his thesis then to not be productive? Like what's the, or it's to interrupt yeah. productivity well, me, with moments of like clarity with headspace. So this leads into this next part, which is the idea of being a better procrastinator. <laughs> so there's three principles and I'll just share them at a high level. So, so, you know, this will be speak to your, uh, that question. Yeah. Um, Okay, so number one is pay yourself first, right? So there's this graphic novelist that he references um, and, and creativity coach, Jessica Abel, um, who who really preaches this idea of, you know, saving time. If you don't save a bit of time of your time for you now out of every week, there is no moment in the future when you'll magically be done with everything and have loads of free time, right? So this notion first of pay yourself first. Um, and your hobby speaks directly to that, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of a hobby at all, that we would do anything in life that isn't purely for some productive end, that is a good thing. That is experiencing life in a way that allows us to just enjoy, you know? And a, a lot of people don't have that in a hobby or, I mean, for me lately, that's certainly been um, guitar, but like whatever it is, the idea that you're you're paying yourself, right? So that very much re- resonates with what you were saying earlier in terms of um, rediscovering hobbies yourself. Totally. Number two, number two is limit your work in progress. So rather than trying to do everything, focus on those things that you intentionally want to do and and let go of the things that ultimately you can't do. And on that point, um, number three was resist the allure of middling priorities. And this one was really interesting to me. He, he quoted, and this could be a misattribution, which he said, right, in the same way that like Albert Einstein gets all these quotes that probably weren't him. But this one apparently was Warren Buffett, who said it to a pilot as they were on a flight. The pilot, you know, being with Warren Buffett was like, hey, you got any good advice? And so he tells the man to make a list of the top 25 things he wants out of life and then arrange them in order from the most important to the least. The top five, Buffett says, should be those around which he organizes his time. But contrary to what the pilot might have been expecting to hear, the remaining 20, Buffett allegedly explains, aren't the second tier priorities to which he should turn when he gets the chance. In fact, they're the ones he should actively avoid at all costs. So this idea that all of the stuff that is important to you, right, but isn't at the very top that's what we've got to let go of because, you know, whatever that list is, obviously 25 made up number uh, or arbitrary number. But the idea that what we need to let go of is not just these like lower rung, you know, a traditional time manager might, might say like, let go of those things that aren't urgent or important, right? No, actually, there are too many things to even do that we are, we think are urgent or important. We can't do it. It's just not possible. And like, you know, this this resonates with me having practiced agile methodology for a while at work now, too, because um, what it basically says is like <laughs> whether you want to or not, you're not going to get all the stuff done. So you might as well intentionally choose the things that you need to get done over, you know, whatever time frame. Right. And it, it sort of ties to that. Um, so that is what it's all about. It's like getting really clear about what is most important and letting things even that you really want to do, let them go. The the thing my my mind immediately and this probably says m- more about me than it does this concept goes to the idea that like I would be letting at least twenty people down if I did that. And absolutely, that's something that I personally struggle with because oh, absolutely, most most of those like middling priorities for me are things that I do 
for other people. Like there, mm. there are things that I get pulled into, whether it's like, you know, coaching somebody on, you know, music or podcasting or looking at somebody's work and giving feedback, like th- things like that to me are things that I make lower tier priorities of, but I still make myself available for. Sure. And they definitely eat at some of my time. But there are things that like if I just stopped doing that completely, like I, I feel like I would feel like an asshole. You know what I mean? That's- I totally know what you mean. I really struggle with that one too. And, you know, he goes on later, you know, there's lots to say about relationships and what you prioritize and all of that, right? Because like, and of course, you know, he doesn't try to sort of advise on that kind of thing because that's different for every person. I really struggle with that one too, personally. And I've talked about that, you know, on a more recent episode where it's like, the, the relationships we have in our life. I mean, that's what gives so much meaning to our lives. And so how could you possibly choose? Right. I mean, and it's not like this intentional thing where you can say, you know, these are the most important ones and these aren't going to be meaningful to me because maybe those are super meaningful in ways that maybe aren't as directly relevant or, or uh, apparent. So I don't know, man. I mean, that's tough, but I do, I do think there's something really to this idea that there's just we're managing too many, too many relationships, too many projects, too much everything. It's not possible. And as a result, we split ourselves across all of them in ways that don't allow us to be too, truly present with them. You know, if uh, that's, I guess, what stands out to me and how we navigate it. I mean, that's the hard part. That is life. <laughs> It is, but it's also worth, you know, it, it's it's a good exhortation to take stock of what you're actually doing at any given point in time, yes, yes. right? And to stop being stressed out about things that you're assuming you're about to do, but never get around to. That That's something that I think is, is you know, even just looking at, at my own personal life, you know, there's a lot of kind of low tier goals that I have that I don't actually care about that much, but I keep writing them down or, or I keep putting them in my goal planning stuff. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just like not going to get around to it. Isn't that anxiety producing? It is because it's, it's an unchecked to-do yeah. list item and you feel guilty about it, right? Right. So that that 100% resonates with me. But it also, as many books that we've talked about on the show has done, is is kind of reminding me of how hard it is to do these things in contemporary Western society Ugh, where yes. it is – it's very hard to do so that hard. because like most of those you know middle tier goals that we're talking about are things that like come from other people and we're kind of responsible for them in some way. You know, yes. Or not as responsible as we think we need to be but like they're kind of waiting for us. So yeah, it's, it's tough and even the idea of like being, you know, quote unquote worse at email, that's something that uh, like – like I know that if if I start doing that, I will get pushback from other people and then become like less a part of the fabric of like my social life and of like my work life. And that's that's hard. Like it's hard to reconcile these things with modern society. That's something I, I'd like to hear more about. This is hard stuff. Yeah. Maybe I'll leave with this last quote here before we um, wrap soon because, you know, yeah, I agree completely. Um, it's hard. It's hard to do in the society that we live in. And like this is really – we're not going to just all of a sudden, you know, get this 100% right or or ever maybe. But um, okay, I'll, let me jump into this one. At the end of your life, looking back, whatever compelled your attention from moment to moment is simply what your life will have been. So when you pay attention to something – you don't especially value, it's not an exaggeration to say that you're paying with your life. Seen this way, distraction needn't refer only to momentary lapses in focus, as when you're distracted from performing your work duties by the ping of an incoming text message or a compellingly terrible news, terrible news story. The job itself could be a distraction. That is an investment of a portion of your attention, 
and therefore of your life in something less meaningful than other options that might have been available to you. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure, right? It's a like, lot. It, it sounds. It sounds like uh, frightening, you know. It, yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, because if we don't do these things and like we don't have a job anymore, that that's that's the thing that I'm I'm struggling with listening to it is like how, unless you become a monk or something, like how are you supposed to? Well, I think you it's know? by actively if we choose to do that as a job, let's do it, right? Let's go all in, and ideally, we're we're pointing our lives in the direction of where we want to be. It's not like we can just leave our job if we're not happy with it immediately. But like, are you? genuinely sort of pointing yourself in that direction of where you want your attention, where you want your life to be. Because so much of us, it's easy to go with the distraction, right? And the distraction might just be the stuff that's coming. You're reacting to every day and what is your typical, your, your job right now or whatever it is. So to stop and take stock and to say, this is it. Like this is your life, right? I think the lists that we create of all the other things help keep us, uh, they bring comfort to us knowing that, this might happen. It gives me options, right? It's like this whole idea of something that could come, but like there's probably a part of us that knows like that's not actually, it's not going to, right? Unless those are the things that we're truly prioritizing, they're not. And they're distractions, you know, they're, they're just giving us uh, this alternate universe that never existed and probably never will. So I, again, figuring out where you do aim yourself and want your attention to be, I think is, is the hard part. And we'll get more into all of that too. But um you know, that's at least acknowledging that that we've got to focus and, and be present and have our attention somewhat <laughs> uh, controlled by us rather than other forces like social media, which is another one that, you know, comes mm-hmm. up. Um, I think that's an important one. Yeah, this this will be interesting to get deeper into, I think. For sure. I, I, so. I have I have a lot of thoughts, but I also I want to be, you know, conscious of the fact that I am just now learning what you're saying. So I don't want to, like, be too judgmental about it. You know, no, so I I'm, think I'm you curious to hear more. I think that makes it stronger. Right. I mean, having a conversation that looks at it in that way, which is why I always appreciate when just one of us has read something because we can bring that critical thinking to it, which I think is important. So. So, yeah, looking forward to uh, the next part whenever that is. And uh, hopefully this gives us both some stuff to gel on for a little while before then. Food for thought. Food for thought. All right. Thank you, my friend. Bye. Thank you. See ya. See ya. See ya.